Welcome to The Humanist Report. I'm Mike Fioreto. Today's episode is sponsored by Gamefly.com. If you visit the link in the description box, you can get a free 30-day trial for movie and game rentals, and every time you do that, you support the show. So on today's episode, I'm going to be discussing the campaign mostly because we are so close to Iowa, so close to New Hampshire. I want to make sure that any attack launched on Bernie Sanders, any misinformation that's perpetuated is debunked. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on for the most part. I'll also be discussing a really scary fact about our climate. Um, Additionally, I'll be talking about the attacks launched on Bernie Sanders against Hillary Clinton. There were numerous attacks, so I'll try to get to all of them. It's difficult to keep track of them now because she does at least one to two per day because she's getting really scared. Also, I'll be talking about Bernie Sanders himself as well as the campaign. Uh, So stay tuned. It's going to be a fantastic episode, probably the best yet. And I can say that with certainty. The largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights organization in the country, the Human Rights Campaign, has made their endorsement for president in 2016. That person is Hillary Clinton. I am not kidding. Again, the largest gay rights organization in the country endorsed this candidate. Do you think New York State should recognize gay marriage? No. No. Okay. Now, this endorsement comes as quite the surprise because when you look at the voting records and how the HRC rated both candidates, Bernie Sanders has always maintained a 100% pro-gay voting record from the human rights campaign, whereas Hillary Clinton was given an 89% in 2006. But I think that 89% is actually too generous considering the fact that Hillary Clinton didn't actually support full marriage equality until 2013 when the polls started to shift. I believe that marriage is not just a bond, but a sacred bond between a man and a woman. So she claims to be this huge LGBT rights ally, but the problem is that she wasn't there for us when we needed her the most. She wasn't there for us until public opinion polls shifted. She didn't take a strong stance. She chose to be a coward and run away from us when everybody else hated us. So think about this. When her daughter was getting married, she thought that, you know, her daughter had the right to celebrate her wedding, but gay people didn't have the right to celebrate their weddings. They weren't good enough. They were plebeians. They were second-class citizens. This is apparently what she thought because she didn't support full marriage equality. So the question is, why would the largest LGBT organization in the country endorse a candidate who supported the Defense of Marriage Act, who supported Don't Ask, Don't Tell, who was against gay marriage and spoke out against gay marriage for basically the entirety of her life? Well, this should be easy for them, right? Because, I mean, Bernie Sanders endorsed marriage equality back in the 80s. He voted against DOMA. He voted against Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And he designated an actual day for gay pride when he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont in the 80s, when that was political and career suicide. So basically, Bernie Sanders stood up for us when everyone else hated us. Now, my ears may have playing, been playing a trick on me, but I thought I heard the gentleman a moment ago say something, quote-unquote, about homos in the military. Was I right in hearing that expression? Absolutely. Putting homosexuals in the military. You said something about homos in the military. Was the gentleman referring to the many thousands and thousands of gay people who have put their lives on the line in countless wars defending this country? Was that the group of people that the gentleman was referring to? I'm talking about the military people in the military do not support That's not what we were talking about. You used the word homos in the military. You have insulted thousands of men and women who have put their lives on the line. I'm talking about you and liberals like you that keep the foreign defense. 
Well, if you're curious as to why the human rights campaign endorsed Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders, it's actually pretty easy. It's a good old-fashioned conflict of interest. So the president of the human rights campaign, Chad Griffin, see, he actually was a volunteer for Bill Clinton's campaign in the 1990s, and he later served in Bill Clinton's presidential administration. Now, additionally, this individual actually has done political fundraising for none other than Hillary Clinton. So the Clintons gave him a job, and now he's paying it forward, perhaps in hopes that he can maybe secure a position in Hillary Clinton's administration. Who knows? Because he's very much entrenched with the Clintons. So this decision wasn't based off of who's best for the LGBT community. It was based off of the decision, the unilateral decision, mind you, of an individual who was in bed with the Clintons. This wasn't a membership vote. This wasn't something that they put up for us to decide, members of the HRC. They did it themselves because they have their own self-interests. So The Intercept recently did an interesting piece uh, that shows that whatever an organization or a union endorses Hillary Clinton, that decision is usually contingent upon the vote of their board of directors. But when an organization endorses Bernie Sanders, it's always because they delegate that vote to their members. So if an organization is going to be voting, Bernie Sanders is going to win. Uh, so basically, the people are unequivocally on his side. So now, as a member of the LGBT community myself, who actually was a member of the Human Rights Campaign, who volunteered for their organization, I was really deeply hurt by this decision. Now for me, I briefly canvassed for the Human Rights Campaign back in the day when they were trying to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I put myself in a really uncomfortable position, right? Because I mean, when you're canvassing for something that was then pretty controversial, gay rights, you know, there's going to be some people who are against it. And I even had someone roll down their car window when they were driving by because they saw that human rights logo on my back uh, on the shirt I was wearing. And they called me a faggot and they said that it's not about human rights, it's about sin. Now, furthermore, while I was doing my activism for human rights campaign, this is what led to me being outed to my family as a member of the LGBT community. So basically, I put myself in some really uncomfortable positions because I thought it would benefit the greater good for the LGBT community because I thought that this organization would do the same for me but clearly they didn't. They don't care about LGBT rights. It's all about them. What's great is that I'm not alone in my outrage. So there has been tremendous backlash from the supporters of the human rights campaign. It's been very swift. It's been harsh. Uh, and now the human rights campaign doesn't know what to do with themselves. So case in point, they have a rating system on their Facebook page, right? So previously they were rated at five stars, indicating that they are a great organization. They have a high approval rating among the public, right? Uh, so... <laughs> Since this endorsement came down, uh, everyone has swarmed their page, all of their members, and have since rated them one star, and it dropped their rating down to 2.5 stars. So what do they do? They panic. They just delete the rating system altogether. Now, after deleting the rating system, they panic again because their members <laughs> then show outrage at the fact that they're trying to hide the fact that they don't like this endorsement of Hillary Clinton. So from there, they put back the rating system and then the uh, ratings keep coming and now they are down to a two. Uh, so there's also a change.org petition circling around to get them to retract their uh, endorsement of Hillary Clinton. I'll go ahead and put that in the description box. We're really close to 10,000. 
we've we've got to hit 10,000 because they need to see this. Uh, now, besides this, they've been inundated with comments from angry supporters on every single Facebook post that they've made. So Christopher states, I'm unfollowing and dropping my membership. My donations will not go towards a company who supports such a habitual liar. Do your homework, HRC. You want a champion for LGBT equality and you chose Hillary? After it took her forever to warm up to the idea of equality, after every scandal, you chose a corporate puppet, not a champion of equality. Hashtag feel the burn. Uh, Lindsay states, wow, HRC, disappointing endorsement considering her past vo voting record and past opinions on LGBT rights. I'm going with the candidate who has supported my LGBT brothers and sisters from the beginning. That person is not her. It's Bernie Sanders. Brenna states, just remember everyone, HRC only accepted gay rights when she found out she could win votes with that opinion. Bernie Sanders has been fighting this fight for decades. Gray states, drop the ball here HRC, only one candidate has consistently stood for equality and it's not the corporate one you just endorsed. Another one here from Eric. I am unfollowing HRC. Bernie Sanders is the only presidential candidate who truly supports equality his entire life. HRC is so phony for this. So Katie states, Hillary is only supportive of LGBT rights when it meets her agenda. I cannot believe that HRC is endorsing Hillary Clinton, the woman that until she ran against Obama was against marriage equality. That's actually not true. She was against it until 2013. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, their point stands. Um, you should do your research. The clear candidate for any organization claiming to advocate for human rights is Bernie Sanders. You had a huge opportunity to truly advocate for humans, and you chose an opportunistic, wavering liar as opposed to a man with a documented and clear history of standing by his word and actively advocating for all people. Who is responsible for the decision to support Hillary? Do you know anything about her? Clearly, she is in your pockets. Now, that's absolutely true. I mean, you don't have to know that, you know, the president of the HRC endorsed Hillary Clinton because, you know, he is in bed with them. It just reeks of, you know, cronyism. It reeks of just this corrupt establishment system that we don't like. So Hillary Clinton is not the correct candidate for LGBT rights. Is she better than the Republicans? Of course, that's not even a question. But when it comes to her versus Bernie Sanders, the difference is night and day. Both the Human Rights Campaign and Planned Parenthood has endorsed Hillary Clinton in defiance of the will of their members. Now, when asked why he thinks they endorsed Hillary Clinton over himself, Bernie Sanders had this to say. So I have friends and, and, and supporters in the Human Rights Fund uh, in Planned Parenthood. But you know what? Hillary Clinton has been around there for a very, very long time, and some of these groups are in fact part of the establishment. Now the fact that he referred to these interest groups as establishment actually struck a chord with some people. Hillary Clinton tweeted out, really Senator Sanders? How can you say that groups like P-Pact and HRC are part of the establishment you are taking on? <laughs> okay, uh, but we'll continue. Planned Parenthood joined in and states, we respect Senator Sanders, disappointed to be called establishment as we fight like hell to protect women's health. And finally, the human rights campaign, of course, had to join in in this big circle jerk. So they state, we share PPAC's disappointment in Sanders' attacks. Human rights campaign has proudly taken on the establishment and fought for LGBT people for over 30 years. Uh, so clearly, they took this as an attack. Uh, but Bernie Sanders later walked back his comment and states that uh, he does not think that groups like Pan Planned Parenthood, uh, NARAL, uh, HRC are part of the establishment after all. Take a look. What I said in response to a question about endorsements is I think, what I meant to say anyhow, is that sometimes the grassroots are asking, how does it happen if somebody has a 100% voting record in support of your issue and doesn't get endorsed? 
and that sometimes the leadership of an organization may look at the world a little bit different than the grassroots. But in terms of those organizations, I know we're a week out of an election and the Clinton people will try to spin these things. I am a fierce supporter of Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and, and gay rights in this country. And they're not part of the establishment? No, they are. They are standing up and fighting the important fights that have to be fought. Well, unfortunately, now I disagree with you, Bernie Sanders. You were correct the first time. You didn't have to concede on this point. You see, of course it's the case that the grassroots parts of these organizations are not part of the establishment. But, I mean, the individuals who head these organizations are very much part of this establishment. And the fact that they are interest groups makes them by definition establishment. I mean, they perpetuate the status quo in Washington, the give and take that is between interest groups and politicians. But that doesn't make them inherently evil because, I mean, of course, they're actually fighting for noble causes. Nobody's disagreeing with that. Nobody's saying they should be disbanded. Nobody wants to actually take them on. But I mean, to say that these organizations are not part of the establishment because we agree with them is like saying the NRA is not part of the Republican establishment. It very much is. I mean, it's in the pockets of every Republican. It very much controls the Republican Party. So it doesn't change the fact that, you know, they're not establishment because we agree with them. That doesn't matter. The fact is that they are part of the establishment. So the question is, what the hell is the political establishment anyway? So, I mean, if you go to a definition, uh, Wikipedia states, the establishment generally denotes a dominant group or elite that holds power or authority in a nation or organization. The establishment may be a closed social group which selects its own members as opposed to the selection by merit or election or specific entrenched elite structures either in government or in specific institutions. But are you the establishment? I just don't understand what that means. He's been in Congress. He's been elected to office a lot longer than I have. I was in the Senate for eight wonderful years representing New York. He's been in the Congress for 25. And so I'll let uh, your viewers uh, make their own judgment. The length of time that you spend in Congress will not determine whether you are or are not part of the political establishment. What determines whether or not you're part of that political establishment is if you are benefiting from all these backroom deals, if you're benefiting from the cronyism and the nepotism in Washington. If you know someone, you get ahead. If you do something for someone, they return the favor for you. It's just this big circle jerk. So what do you have to do to determine which groups are and aren't part of the establishment, I mean, you have to see which ones are most entrenched in the status quo. Uh, who can influence these politicians the best? Who can influence these political rich elites the best? Planned Parenthood is a very powerful interest group. They are able to get the Democratic Party to answer to their beck and call. When Planned Parenthood says jump, the Democratic Party says how high? Now this is because they spend millions lobbying. Now when it comes to the human rights campaign, they spend hundreds of thousands lobbying. So it's not necessarily a bad thing because what they're lobbying for, it's not a bad cause, but that doesn't negate from the fact that they are part of that Washington political establishment. So being part of the establishment, you know, it's not necessarily bad. It's not inherently evil. It's only evil because most of the time, you know, it resorts to favoritism, cronyism, you know, nepotism. They're all in it, it seems, for, you know, personal gain. And so I think that the real crux of the problem with these endorsements from Planned Parenthood and HRC is that these are, you know, the most noble interest groups in the country, some of the most noble, right? Uh, so I expect them, more than the other interest groups, to kind of not put themselves first, not for the board of directors of the human rights campaign to put their own interests first. I would expect them to do what they purport to do, which is support human rights and stand up for human rights. 
Uh, but they don't want to do that because that personal interest is just so strong. So the problem is that the current political establishment is biased towards special interests. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't matter that I, you know, I have a particular LGBT rights issue in mind. I could donate five bucks to Hillary Clinton. That's not going to get me a seat at the table, but to actually raise money for Hillary Clinton and lobby her and whatnot and donate millions to her campaign, well, that's going to get me a seat at the table and perhaps she could reward me. I mean, look at uh, Barack Obama. So there's a guy named Ted Wheeler, right? So he was the former lobbyist for Comcast. He donated hundreds of thousands to Barack Obama's campaign and all of a sudden he is appointed as the head of the FEC. So... This is what happens all the time. This is all part of the political establishment. It's one big circle jerk that everyone else is excluded from. So to state that two of the most powerful interest groups in the country, the Human Rights Campaign and Planned Parenthood, are part of the establishment, well, it's not an attack. It's just a fact. With the race in Iowa and New Hampshire heating up, the Clinton campaign, as well as some of her close allies, like super PACs for her, well, they've unleashed a new onslaught of attacks against Bernie Sanders. So what I'll do is I'll tell you what each of those attacks are, and then I'll go ahead and respond to each of them. Uh, so first, they claim that Bernie Sanders doesn't support slavery reparations. Um, now, this is technically true, but I'll tell you why it's problematic for them to attack him on that. Uh, furthermore, they state that black lives don't matter to Bernie Sanders. Um, and also, it was insinuated that he is naive when it comes to U.S. relations with Iran. So we'll get to that. Now, she also implied that he's too idealistic. This is less of an attack, but I still want to address it uh, to show you why it's problematic. So when it comes to the very first attack. So first and foremost, Bernie Sanders stated that he would not support reparations for the African-American community because it would be too divisive and it wouldn't get past Congress. The Clinton campaign spokesman, Brian Fallon, hit him on this, saying, We'll see over the coming weeks if he can explain these plans that he has laid out on healthcare. He hasn't said how he would achieve a single-payer system. He couldn't even get a public option with an entirety of Democratic Congress. When it comes to something like reparations, he dismisses it as completely unfeasible. Now, this would be a legitimate attack if Hillary Clinton herself was in favor of reparations, but when asked what her stance is on the issue, she said this, I think we should start studying what investments we need to make in communities to help individuals and families and communities move forward. And I am absolutely committed to that. There are some good ideas out there. There's an idea in the Congressional Black Caucus about really targeting federal dollars to communities that have had either disinvestment or no investment and have had years of being below the poverty level. That's the kind of thing I'd like us to focus on and really help lift people up. So even though this is clever, what she's saying is no, because She's proposing something entirely different than reparations, but then she's saying, yeah, I support that. So they're asking her about issue X, and she's saying, well, here's issue Y. I support that because she wants to make it seem as though she supports reparations when in actuality she doesn't. So I'm actually embarrassed for her for attacking Bernie Sanders on this because if you are mad that he doesn't support something, then you should be in favor of that particular issue yourself. So the fact that you're attacking him while simultaneously holding the same exact stance as him is hypocritical. I don't have to tell you that. It's obvious that it's hypocritical. Now, when it comes to the second attack, David Brock, head of the pro-Clinton super PAC and longtime ally to the Clintons, has attacked Bernie Sanders because in a new ad he released, he states that it was just too white, and he claims that this really presents a bizarre image of America and stated, from this ad, it seems black lives don't matter much to Bernie Sanders. Now, unfortunately for Brock, he forgot about that time when Hillary Clinton literally threw Black Lives Matter out when they demonstrated during one of her rallies. They literally were escorted out. 
Uh, so let's not forget about that. But nonetheless, the Sanders campaign had a great response to Brock. So apparently he's all of a sudden a so-called warrior for racial justice, right? Well, that's not really the case. So Michael Briggs states, 25 years ago, it was Brock, a mudslinging right-wing extremist who tried to destroy Anita Hill, a distinguished African-American law professor. He later was forced to apologize for his lies about her. Today, he's lying about Senator Sanders. Now to give you some context, so Anita Hill was sexually harassed by the Supreme Court Justice Clarence. Thomas. Uh, now, right-wingers wanted him on the Supreme Court really, really badly. Uh, one, because it was basically about affirmative action, right? Because the relations between the Republican Party and the African-American community were bad. So by doing this, they were hoping, you know, they can kind of help repair those relations. And furthermore, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas would potentially repeal Roe versus Wade. So, I mean, there's another reason why they wanted him on. Um, so what they wanted to do is they didn't want you know, Anita Hill's accusations to uh, impede his ability to get on the Supreme Court, right? So they went on this tirade against her. They tried to paint her as delusional. And David Brock actually wrote a book titled The Real Anita Hill Just to Slander Her. Now, he actually later recanted the claims made in this book because he said it was nothing more than character assassination. But it looks as though he did not learn his lesson. He's still assassinating people's characters. So now getting to the latest foreign policy attack. So the Clinton campaign released a letter penned by 10 foreign policy experts who critiqued Bernie Sanders for being naive when it comes to his statement on Iran. So, Bernie Sanders said that Iran should send more troops to fight ISIS in Syria. Now, they responded by saying, We need a commander-in-chief who knows how to protect America and our allies and advance our interests and values around the world. Sounds very Republican. The stakes are high. We are concerned that Senator Sanders has not thought through these crucial national security issues that can have profound consequences for our security. Now, there's two problems with this. First, they say that Sanders didn't think through these issues, which implies that he's naive. But he's thought through foreign policy issues more than Clinton, because if I remember correctly, she's the one who voted in favor of the Iraq war, and also she's in favor of a Syrian no-fly zone, which could potentially escalate tensions between the U.S. and Russia, and maybe even lead to World War III. I'm not just fear-mongering. I mean, we don't want to shoot down a Russian plane if they violate this arbitrary no-fly zone that we decide to institute, right? And when asked about this, even at the third Democratic debate, she said, I don't think it's even going to come to that, which makes her incredibly naive. Uh, now, furthermore, Iran and Russia are fighting against ISIS in Syria. So to say that you want to stop them from fighting ISIS is just completely and utterly ridiculous. I don't understand how you could be against that. So it's obvious that she hasn't thought through these policies. And now as for the second problem, the signatories to this letter are actually part of the military industrial complex. Several of them are actually literally military contractors. I'm not making this up. So these are people who benefit from war. They make more money the more we go to war. And Hillary Clinton is allowing them people with a financial incentive to critique Bernie Sanders on his foreign policy to say, no, look, we need more war. She's basically saying that they are more legitimate than Bernie Sanders, even though they have that financial incentive to go to war. How crazy is this? Hillary, what are you thinking? This is going to look so bad. It's going to backfire so terribly, but she doesn't think when she makes these attacks. Now, finally, she implied that Bernie Sanders' plans are too ambitious and are too idealistic. Take a look. In theory, is it enough? A president has to deliver in reality. Now, the problem here is that she is making the same mistake she made in 2008 all over again. Here's what she said about Obama in 2008. Now, I could stand up here and say, let's just get everybody together. Let's get unified. 
the sky will open, the light will come down, celestial choirs will be singing, and everyone will know we should do the right thing and the world will be perfect. I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. Now, the bottom line is that these attacks are not substantive. I mean, every time she does this, she just delegitimizes herself more and more. All she does is rile up Sanders supporters and gets them to donate. So I like when she attacks him. I mean, I may have to come out and rebuke these attacks because they're untrue, uh, but I still like that she does it because it doesn't work out too well for her and I want Bernie Sanders to win. So in my own self-interest, uh, keep it coming, Hillary Clinton, because it's not working out too well for you. So recently, I had the opportunity to speak with one of my favorite members of Congress, uh, Representative Earl Blumenauer. He is a progressive congressman. He's always been on the right side of basically every single issue. And basically, my goal was to ask him if, you know, he was going to be endorsing Bernie Sanders because his ideas are right in line with what Bernie wants. Um, so I failed miserably to get him to... Uh, say that he's going to endorse Bernie Sanders. Now, I didn't really try to convince him. It was a very brief interaction, right? But I was very disappointed and uh, disheartened by my brief conversation. So the first thing that I did was, you know, I thanked him for actually not being corrupt like everyone else in Congress for not giving in to corporate interests, right? And he kind of, he said, thank you, but he kind of had like this weird look, like, what are you talking about? Corruption in Washington? Like, he really didn't believe that, you know, his colleagues are very corrupt, even though he's a progressive and, you know, he doesn't appear to be beholden to the special interest groups. You know, he, he was kind of puzzled by that, I could tell by the look on his face. So that puzzled me because it's like, how do you not know? I mean, Citizens United, six-year anniversary, I mean, money in politics, it's not evident. Uh, and then, so I asked him, I said, look, you're really close to Bernie Sanders, right, in terms of your political ideology, in terms of what you advocate for, you've been called a socialist and whatnot. Uh, and he basically said, you know, look, I've known Bernie Sanders for 20 years. I've worked with Secretary Clinton, but, you know, I really think that Hillary Clinton is going to be the nominee. Um, and he also stated that he thinks that Hillary Clinton would be better at forming a government. Uh, so basically, um, I was really, uh, really disappointed. And he also said that he thinks that, you know, Hillary Clinton has the best chance of winning when that's not true. I even brought up the fact that, well, Bernie Sanders beats Trump by over 20 points in hypothetical matchups. Uh, and, you know, he didn't really have a response for that. Uh, so basically, this is what I took away from this overall interaction. I came to the conclusion that people in Washington, it doesn't matter how progressive they are. It doesn't matter, you know, what they advocate and how well they represent their constituents. When you're in Washington, you are in a bubble that is so thick that you can't potentially even imagine or fathom what your constituents might think about the aggregate political establishment. Uh, so I don't know whether or not Blumenauer could be part of the political establishment. You know, I would say he's probably anti-establishment, but I think that, you know, because they're his colleagues, because he's been there for years and years and years, I don't think he can see what we see. I mean, they can't be introspective. They can't look within themselves and see, look, we do appear corrupt, right? I mean, even uh, Chief Justice John Roberts on the Supreme Court in the McCutcheon case stated that campaign contributions, they're not only not corrupt, but they don't even give the appearance of corruption. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, how progressive they are. They all go with that Washington consensus. Whatever they're told by the mainstream media, they agree with. The fact that Hillary Clinton is inevitable. Look, it is the case that Hillary Clinton is currently in a better position than Bernie Sanders to win, but that doesn't mean that she's inevitable. I mean, it's neck and neck right now. It's anyone's game in Iowa and New Hampshire. So it's just weird to me that, you know, people in Washington, they just cannot see 
what we see. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going there to try to uh, persuade him to vote for Bernie Sanders. I was just trying to make, well, I guess I was, I was trying to make the point that, you know, look, you're close to Bernie Sanders. Uh, he's close to you in terms of ideology, in terms of how you guys have worked well together in Congress. So, I mean, why not endorse him? You know, why not help him? Because, I mean, everyone is jumping over themselves to endorse Hillary Clinton in Congress. So why not help Bernie Sanders? If you're close to him, do it. And it's because they all, they haven't gotten it out of their head that, you know, Hillary Clinton is not inevitable. This was the same case in 2008 when everyone thought that Hillary Clinton was inevitable and nobody wanted to, you know, support Barack Obama. I mean, that changed, but everybody thought she was inevitable. And because they're afraid, you know, they want they don't want to be left out of the political uh, status quo in Washington by endorsing the wrong candidate if Clinton becomes president. So it's just weird. That's what I took away from it is that it doesn't matter what your ideology is in Congress. You just, you can't really relate to the American people. You don't see what we see. So I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the takeaway is from this, but I just wanted to share my experience and why I'm disappointed. I mean, uh, I, maybe I'm being too pessimistic about this, but the fact of the matter is that I just feel as though people in Washington, even if they aren't beholden to corporate interests, they still don't see what we see. They still have that establishment mentality, and it's really frustrating because that's not the way that normal Americans think. So by now, we all know that 2014 was the hottest year on record. Well, unfortunately, uh, it is now the case that 2015 has surpassed 2014 and is now the new hottest year on record by quite a bit. So the New York Times explains, the whole system is warming up relentlessly, said Gerald A. Meal, a scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado. It will take a few more years to know for certain, but the back-to-back -back records of 2014 and 2015 may have put the world back onto a trajectory of rapid global warming, after a period of relatively slow warming dating to the last powerful El Nino in 1998. So now when you look at average temperatures, you can see how the trend consistently has increased to above average temperatures year after year. So now we've been warming consistently since the 1970s, but how fast we've been warming was what scientists were really trying to figure out. So when you look at the world map here, you'll see that uh, almost everywhere on the planet was above average temperatures in 2015, and this is really, really troubling. So I mean, this goes without saying, the time to act is right now. We can't be putting forth these proposals that people call ambitious to cut carbon by 50% by 2050 or whatnot. I mean, look at this. How can you look at this and say, well, we can make, you know, we can make this benchmark that we'll meet later than the line. I mean, even if we were to stop CO2 emissions right now at 100%, I mean, the consequences are still going to be devastating. We've come too far. We've warmed up the planet still that we're going to have to deal with the repercussions of it. Now, the problem is that we don't even know all the consequences that will come to fruition with global warming, right? So, I mean, we know that, you know, the ice caps will melt and that's going to raise sea levels. Uh, but what we don't know is what new diseases might come to fruition, you know, as the polar caps melt. We don't know what's going to happen after mass migration becomes an issue when we have wars over water and whatnot. I mean, what are we supposed to do? I mean, as a species, we're not equipped to deal with this yet. We have been basically just sitting aside and have been ignoring this. But, I mean, global warming is here. To deny it is just insane. Now, as Bernie Sanders stated, the debate is over, okay? We're not debating whether or not uh, climate change is real. If you're trying to debate this, then you're just not being serious, right? And you need to step aside. But... What we need to do now is debate how we can stop it, and we have to take drastic efforts, right? I mean, all of us have to pitch in. It needs to be a global effort, but leaders of every single country, they're just 
they're not ambitious enough. I mean, right, we just had the climate talk in Paris, and what came from that was, it was a deal nonetheless, but it wasn't sufficient to actually stop a full uh, catastrophe, right? So we need to stop the planet from rising to above two degrees, and it's too late for us to do that. So the takeaway is that, you know, the consequences of climate change are inevitable. Uh, and it's not just the case that, you know, well, I don't have to deal with that. You know, the future generations will have to deal with that. No. I mean, with how fast it's warming, we are going to have to deal with some of these consequences. And it just blows my mind that there isn't more action. It blows my mind that we can't just come together and stop producing subsidies for the fossil fuel industry and actually fund green technology, which is going to be the next economic boom. We can't do that because... Well, the political establishment in Washington just can't get anything done. So, I mean, really, really, really sad news. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. It's just horrible. Well, that's the episode. As always, I want to thank all of my subscribers for tuning in every week. And I also want to welcome all of the newest subscribers to the channel. Now, there's been a lot of you uh, coming in. So feel free to take a look at some of our older videos and whatnot. I think um, this Monday we hit 6,000 subscribers and now it is Friday and we are less than 100 away. I think we're like, the last I checked, we were like less than 70 away actually from uh reaching 7,000 and this is insane this is numbers that some of the big dogs have right like uh the young turks and kyle kalinsky and david pakman so the fact that we have so many newcomers on the channel it's just awesome uh to me so i want to thank you all for tuning in uh so i'll see you guys next week i wanted to play a clip from an older video so uh Alan Greenspan, who is the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, was reamed by Bernie Sanders uh, over his flawed political ideology and for not caring about the American people. Take a look. Thank you. Mr. Sanders? Thank you, Madam Chair and Mr. Greenspan. Nice to see you again. Uh, Mr. Greenspan, I have long been concerned that you are way out of touch with the needs of the middle class and working families of our country that you see your major function in your position as the need to represent the wealthy and large corporations. And I must tell you that your testimony today only confirms all of my suspicions. And I urge you, and I mean this seriously, because you're an honest person. I think you just don't know what's going on in the real world. And I would urge you, come with me to Vermont, meet real people, the country clubs, and the cocktail parties are not real America. The millionaires and billionaires are the exception to the rule. You talk about an improving economy while we have lost three million private sector jobs in the last two years. Long-term unemployment has more than tripled. Unemployment is higher than it has been since 1994. We have a $4 trillion national debt 1.4 million Americans have lost their health insurance. Millions of seniors can't afford prescription drugs. Middle-class families can't send their kids to college because they don't have the money to do that. Bankruptcy, bankruptcy cases have increased by a record-breaking 23%. Business investment is at its lowest level in more than 50 years. CEOs make more than 500 times of what their workers make. The middle class is shrinking. We have the greatest gap between the rich and the poor of any industrialized nation, and this is an economy that is improving. I hate to see what would happen if our economy was sinking. Now, today, you may not have known this. I suspect that you don't, but you have insulted tens of millions of American workers. You have defended over the years 
among other things, the abolition of the minimum wage, one of your policies, and giving huge tax breaks to billionaires. But today you reached a new low, I think, by suggesting that manufacturing in America doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the product is produced. We lost two million manufacturing jobs in the last two years alone, 10% of our workforce. Walmart has replaced General Motors as the major employer in America, paying people starvation wages rather than living wages, and all of that does not matter to you. Doesn't matter if it's produced in China, where workers are making 30 cents an hour, or produced in Vermont, where workers can make 20 bucks an hour. It doesn't matter. You have told the American people that you support a trade policy which is selling them out only working for the CEOs who can take our plants to China, Mexico, and India. You insulted Mr. Castle. Mr. Castle, a few moments ago, a good Republican, told you that we're seeing not only the decline of manufacturing jobs, but white-collar information technology jobs. Forrester Research says that over the next 15 years, 3.3 million U.S. service industry jobs and 130 six billion in wages will move offshore to India, Russia, China, and the Philippines. Does any of this matter to you? Do you give one whit of concern to the middle class and working families of this country? That's my question. Congressman, we have the highest standard of living in the world. No, we do not. You go to Scandinavia and you will find that people have a much higher standard of living in terms for of education, health care, and decent paying jobs. Wrong, may Mr. Greenspan. May I answer your question? You sure may. Thank you. For a major industrial country, we have created the most advanced technologies, the highest standard of living for a country of our size. Our economic growth is crucial to us the incomes, the purchasing power of our employees, our workers, our people, are by far more important than what it is we produce. Now what's great is that uh, Alan Greenspan later testified before Congress again, and in essence he admitted that everything Bernie Sanders said was right all along. Uh, he said that his libertarian ideology was failed. So take a look. You, you found a flaw in the reality in the model that I perceived is the critical functioning structure that defines how the world works, so to speak. In other words, you found that your your view of the world, your ideology, was not right. It was that, not that, working. That is, it had a, that precisely. No, I, that's precisely the reason I was shocked because I had been going for 40 years or more with very considerable evidence that it was working exceptionally well. And what I'm saying to you is yes. I found a flaw, I don't know how significant or permanent it is, but I've been very distressed by that fact. Now, this video is why I have hope that Bernie Sanders won't just run as a progressive and then when he's in office, morph into a corporatist Democrat like Barack Obama, because he has a history of genuinely caring for the American people. Now, prior to him actually announcing his campaign, uh, he said that he would not run 
if there was an actual progressive in uh, the race. So if Elizabeth Warren ran, uh, or he knew that Lawrence Lessig would run, he probably wouldn't have uh, decided to enter the race. But because he cares about the American people and he knows that his progressive policies will definitely help the American people, well, he's running on that principle alone. And that's why I think he's such a respectable candidate, because he genuinely cares. I don't trust any politician, uh, but Bernie Sanders is the exception to that rule because he has a long, long history of standing up for the marginalized, for standing up for the disadvantaged. I mean, he was marching for MLK back in the day when Hillary Clinton was campaigning with Barry Goldwater. A shout out to one of my viewers for pointing this out. I didn't know about it. Uh, and that just kind of goes to show you how these two candidates are really different. Bernie Sanders is glued to the principles, whereas a lot of other Democratic candidates, uh, I'm going to say Martin O'Malley, because he's probably going to be another Obama, uh, Hillary Clinton, they care about furthering their political career. Their goal is to win. Bernie's goal is to actually help the American people. And that's why I think he's the best candidate. So the CNN Democratic Town Hall has just finished, and I wanted to give you guys my opinion on it. Basically, first and foremost, uh, before I give you my analysis, I can't help but notice how this seemed like a really desperate attempt on behalf of the DNC to help Hillary Clinton. Because every time when Debbie Wasserman Schultz is questioned about why she is limiting the number of debates, she'll always say that she doesn't want the candidates to have to take time away from, you know, their campaigning and whatever the case may be. She doesn't want it to be a distraction, which is idiotic because it's something that can help their campaigns. But nonetheless, now that, you know, the numbers are now neck and neck in Iowa and Bernie Sanders is just pulling away in New Hampshire, this was kind of a last ditch, desperate attempt to maybe save Hillary Clinton's campaign. Uh, and overall, don't think it's going to help. So first and foremost, uh, before I get into how I think each candidate did, I think that Chris Cuomo did a horrific job. Uh, I the bias was so evident, so let's all take out our tinfoil hats for a minute again, because uh, we, we gotta do it, okay? Because the establishment is just so against Bernie Sanders. We are absolutely correct, again, to take out our tinfoil hats. Uh, so, a couple things that I noticed. I don't know if I'm crazy, but, you know, let me just throw them out there. So, he was really, really soft towards Hillary Clinton. He tried to, quote, challenge her a couple of times, but he didn't push back against Hillary Clinton like he did against Bernie Sanders. And furthermore, when it comes to time restraints, so he interrupted Bernie Sanders, he interrupted Martin O'Malley, but Hillary Clinton droned on for, like, 50 minutes about foreign policy and how, well, I flew to Cairo to meet with President Morsi of Egypt, then I was here, then I was there. I mean, was he ever going to cut her off? Because he certainly cut off Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley, so I thought that, that wasn't fair. And you can really tell who Chris Cuomo's candidate was. It certainly wasn't Bernie Sanders, it certainly wasn't Martin O'Malley. Uh, now, with that being said, let me go ahead and get into the actual analyses of each candidate. So basically, I'm going to start with Hillary Clinton. Okay, so for the very first question that she was asked, uh, it was, in effect, this. Okay, Hillary Clinton, so you are so great. You were endorsed by this organization, by this news outlet. So I just want to know, what is it like being so amazing? 
That was basically the question. Uh, and then for the second question, you know, he brought up the point that this is, you know, this is a real nail-biter of an election. Uh, so how is it that a self-described piece of shit socialist like Bernie Sanders is now catching up to you? I mean, what are your thoughts on this piece of shit plebeian lover and why you think he's doing so well? That was basically the question. So uh, Chris Cuomo is, yeah, um... <laughs> very biased. Now, of course, whenever asked about Bernie Sanders, because he's better on policies, because he's more left-wing on a lot of policies, Hillary Clinton, she doesn't answer that. She pivots to Republicans. I've noted this before every single time. Now, mark my words, in an interview, if she is asked about Bernie Sanders' policies, guarantee it, she's going to pivot to the Republicans because his policies, regardless if she wants to admit it or not, are more in line with Democratic voters. When it comes to universal health care, 81% of us support it. So, I mean... That's what she does, and it's a strategy that I think is really smart, but I notice it, and I don't think that uh, very many people do, except for my viewers, because you guys are super smart and uh, cognizant of these types of political tricks. Now, when it comes to healthcare, she states how, you know, when she was, you know, first lady and whatnot, and during her uh, career, insurance companies spent so much money against her, and then she talked about how, you know, but I didn't give up. We got the child health insurance program. Hillary Clinton, you did give up. You're giving us this speech about how you didn't give up. You did technically give up. You fought for universal health care. And then you completely not just gave up. You abandoned that policy. You were co-opted by the health insurance industry. And as soon as you began giving speeches on their behalf and getting paid millions for that, and also as soon as you started to take campaign contributions from them once they bought you, you gave up entirely. So to give us this speech that, oh, don't give up, you know, we can do this. It just doesn't seem right coming from you. Uh, now, furthermore, she stated something that made my head pop off my body. I had to sew it back on. Uh, it almost drove me crazy. So she said that she has a 40-year record of defending against all types of inequality, uh, including that for the LGBT community. Uh, no, you don't. You do not have that because I literally just posted a video uh, within the last week showing how you were fighting against marriage equality and how you actually pledged to fight against marriage equality if it were to come up in the future. Uh, and basically, you supported policies that directly harmed us. DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, banned uh, marriage equality federally. Uh, also, don't ask, don't tell. Banned gay people from serving openly in the military. Uh, marriage equality, you were against that. So, uh, don't give me this BS. I mean, look, you can say you were the first first lady to ever uh, march in a gay pride parade, but that doesn't mean anything to me, okay? It's symbolic, and symbolic acts like this they have their place in politics, but what really matters is policy. And when it comes to policy, you abandoned us. So you don't get to say that you fought for us for 40 years. No, you abandoned us. You were a coward. So you don't get to use that. Sorry. Now, also, she really tried to hammer home the case that, you know, she is phenomenal when it comes to foreign policy issues because she has experience. I don't think anybody on the Bernie Sanders side, like myself, is questioning whether or not she's qualified to do the job as president. Uh, we just don't trust you. We think that you're going to get in there and you're going to sell out to corporate interest. Well, you've already sold out to corporate interest. We can look at your donations, but we think that you're just going to do their bidding. That's why we are very skeptical about you because Obama he was promising to do a lot of great things, kind of like Bernie Sanders. He got us really excited. We didn't look at the donations then. We were a little bit naive, and then he got in there, and look at this. He's pushing the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He's basically become a corporatist, so we don't trust you there. But with that being said, I thought that she did a great job answering the question about Islamophobia. Uh, good on that. I think she articulated 
what needed to be said really well. Uh, and also, I was a little bit uh, puzzled by the Benghazi question. I mean, why are we asking this? I don't care about that. That's not a scandal. I mean, I care about the incident. I'm saddened by the incident, but that's not a real scandal. That's a Republican attack to discredit Hillary Clinton. You don't need a scandal to discredit Hillary Clinton. I mean, you can look at her campaign contributions and her speaking fees, and that does it on its own. So you don't need one of these trumped-up scandals. So that's not something that resonates with me at all. Now, when it comes to uh, the email question, again, I don't care about this scandal, but she did say something that was very disingenuous. She said that she turned over her emails over, um, she didn't say the number, but I believe before she said that she turned over 55,000 emails. But what she's not telling you is that she deleted like 10 to 12,000 emails prior to turning in the rest of them. So sure, she turned over a bunch of emails, but she deleted a bunch. And she said that they weren't relevant. Well, that seems really disingenuous. Now again, I don't care about the email scandal. I look to policy. I disagree with her on policy. I look at the campaign contributions. I don't need these scandals that are mostly trumped up by Republicans. Now, for the last question, when she was asked who her favorite president was, the kid asking the question had a little Freudian slip there. He said, no, I could see why they wanted to ask you this question. This kind of implied that, you know, the questions, although they were fielded by CNN of people who wanted to ask them, well, what is suggested there is that he was kind of given the question by CNN and it wasn't something that he wanted to ask himself, uh, which it was a stupid question. I don't care who's your favorite president. That doesn't matter. But anyways, um, <laughs> putting that aside, uh, you know, the, the kid on Twitter had said, look, that was my question. I wanted to ask it, but I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical there. I haven't put away my tinfoil hat yet. And uh, yeah, because I mean, it, in a type of event like this, where it's kind of this last minute thing to have this town hall to potentially save the DNC's favorite candidate's campaign, who's not doing too well right now. You got to keep out that tinfoil hat. Okay, so when it comes to Bernie Sanders, here's the thing that bugs me to no end. So there is the biggest double standard ever. So anytime any candidate talks about their policies, uh, anytime a Republican talks about how they want to go to war and spend trillions of dollars doing that, they want to go to war with Iran, they don't directly say it, but you know what they mean. Uh, they want to spend all this money, they want you know to invade Syria, they want to ramp up that war. Nobody asks the question, how are you going to pay for that? But when it comes to Bernie Sanders and when he actually wants to help people, he wants to give us you know uh, universal health care and whatnot, the question always comes up, well, how are you going to pay for that? Well, that's a double standard. You can ask that question, but be consistent in your application of that question. Don't just ask it to Bernie Sanders. And it pisses me off that you ask that question to someone who wants to help us. Why is that question never posed to policies that harm us? Why doesn't anybody ask the Republicans how you're going to pay for all these tax cuts to billionaires, how you're going to pay for corporate subsidies, how you're going to pay for subsidies to the oil and gas industry? Why is it that Bernie Sanders is the only one being asked this question? And furthermore, these aren't free programs. They are funded by my tax dollars. So uh, if you want to call it an entitlement plan, I disagree with that because I think that healthcare should be a right. But fine. Yeah, I am entitled to actually have my tax dollars go to good use. Right now, my tax dollars are helping rich people get subsidies and whatnot. So you know what? Don't tell me about that. That's just bullshit. Okay, so furthermore, the questions that Chris Cuomo asked, I mean, look, he constantly pushed back against Brady Sanders. Well, are you going to bring back the biggest government ever? 
What kind of a question is that? Are you going to bring back the biggest government ever? What does that even mean? That's a scare tactic. It's like, oh, socialism. No, I'm so scared of that. Big government is just an empty thing that Republicans like to do to scare you. So that way they can try to insinuate something like, oh, well, you know, the government's going to get so big that they're going to take away your rights. They're going to take away your house, take away your ownership rights and whatnot. Get out of here. Okay. Big government, my ass. Do you want to know what's big government? spending billions and billions and billions over 500 billion dollars per year on our military we can cut that in half and still be number one in the world in terms of in terms of military spending you want to know what's big government corporate subsidies you want to know what's big government the bailout for wall street we forget that big government can work in our favor so social security big government highest approval rating of any type of social policy. So big government is not inherently evil. It's kind of like taxes. Whenever you say the word tax, oh no, you said taxes, you wanna raise taxes, but you don't dive into the nuance of it. You don't think, oh yeah, well, I'm actually gonna save money because I'm not gonna be having to pay for health insurance premiums, but you know, you said taxes, so now I'm freaking out. We need to stop being so reactionary to terms that scare us, such as socialism, such as big government, such as taxes. That's how children think, and we need to process things differently as rational adults. Now, when it comes to the question of how would you be more helpful to women, I thought that Bernie did a great job at answering that. But here's how I would have answered it. Well, this is how I'm going to uh, be more representative of, of women than Hillary Clinton. I'm going to represent all women, not just the rich white women, not just the women that are in the elite class. I'm going to represent every single woman. Um, I also like that he, he gave a really great answer when it comes to foreign policy on how even though he's always said to not be qualified or not be apt to deal with those types of issues. He gave a great answer because he's been right all along. He didn't have to come back and say, I made a mistake on the Iraq war. He didn't have to come out and say, look, we shouldn't have voted against Glass-Steagall. And I'm, you know, I'm, I feel bad about doing that. He just did it. Okay. So if you come to that conclusion the first time, you're the better candidate. Now, Chris Cuomo also accused Bernie Sanders of basically running a dirty campaign. He said that, you know, talking about Dick Cheney and Hillary Clinton in the same sentence is not really the most highbrow way to run a campaign or something like that. But what about Hillary Clinton's attacks? In the last week, she has attacked him for being too old. One of her super PACs demanded that he release his health records. The head of one of her, her super PACs, David Brock, said that he doesn't care about black people because his ad is too white. Um, also, she's been saying all week, uh, as well as her daughter, Chelsea Clinton, that he wants to remove healthcare, I can go on. So if you're going to talk about how to run the most um, highbrow campaign, maybe you should look to Hillary Clinton. But of course, Chris Cuomo did not bring that up. Now, they love bringing up this gun question because that's really where they can get Bernie Sanders, right? That's just his weak spot, which I disagree with. Also, I thought that it was devastating how he explained how she's not running uh, gun control ads in rural Iowa because that wouldn't be very popular. I mean, damn, that was huge. Now, one thing that bugs me is that the mental health issue is not a factor when it comes to gun violence. It's an assertion that Republicans bring up to pivot away from the fact that we actually need gun control. But I don't, like, I'm not going to contest it because, of course, we need mental health care. So if you're going to ramp it up in hopes that that's going to stop gun violence, great. It's not. But we do need mental health care. So, I mean, if we could inadvertently address that, then I'm cool with that, right? Uh, but universal health care would actually help with that. So getting to Chris Cuomo and his bias back on the gun issue, this is basically what he uh, instructed Bernie Sanders to do. Basically, 
Tell them why you flip-flopped, Bernie. Why don't you explain why you changed your mind there on manufacturers and being allowed to sue them and hold them liable? <laughs> I'm so cool. I'm Chris Cuomo. Look, there's so many flip-flops of Hillary Clinton that I'm glad Bernie Sanders pointed out. Why didn't Chris Cuomo grill her in the same way? It just makes me so angry. Uh, and furthermore, I think that holding gun manufacturers and gun businesses accountable is a stupid idea. Now, if you're going to say in the same breath that, you know, you think that we should hold military contractors responsible for the deaths of civilians and our American soldiers abroad and whatnot, then sure, be consistent in your application. But that's just not a smart policy. So I disagree with Hillary Clinton on that. Now, everything that Chris Cuomo threw at Bernie Sanders, he was able to answer phenomenally. Um, and finally, when he starts doing a great job and when Chris Cuomo sees that, you know, he's he's answering these questions too well, you know, he's giving too much substance, then Chris Cuomo decided to pivot to Bernie talking about being an athlete and whatnot. And of course, that brought to the ageist question. I am so sick of this coming up. He is within the same age range as Hillary Clinton, as Donald Trump, as many running for president. So, this is something that is so biased because he's the oldest. They don't realize that he's just a few years older than Hillary Clinton, a few years older than Donald Trump. Um, so I think that this needs to stop, okay? Because it's about the policy. He's clearly healthy. He shouldn't have to release his health records. I believe him. But, you know, I mean, I think it's the right thing to do just for his campaign. Okay, getting to Martin O'Malley. A lot of people say that I'm a bit too hard on Martin O'Malley. Uh, and... I'm going to continue with that trend because he just does nothing for me. Nothing he says excites me except for when he talks about climate change. Uh, but I just, I'm sorry, but he comes off as fake. Everything that he says seems like to rehearse. Um, nothing feels as though it's just off the cuff. He's just, he, he seems like someone who read How to Be a Politician 101 or Politicians for Dummies or something like that. Like, I, I just don't believe in very much that he says. I know that he'll run as, you know, a progressive and then get an office and become a corporatist Democrat, much like Obama. And I'm sick of that. So I'm not... Yeah, I'm not feeling Martin O'Malley, but at the same time, he did do a good job, uh, nonetheless. Although he got wrecked on the very first question when that uh, the lady asked him about, you know, his record in Baltimore and, uh, you know, during his tenure as the governor of Maryland. And she basically explained everything wrong with his campaign, zero tolerance policies and how they impact the African-American community. Oh my god, that right there was just a knockout question, uh, and I don't think he really did a great job at recovering from it, because those zero-tolerance policies are completely idiotic, and of course they disproportionately impact African-American and minority communities. Uh, so, I don't think he did a good job there, but everything else he did okay, and... I also kind of felt bad for him, though, towards the end when Chris Cuomo asked, well, who should your supporters caucus for when you inevitably lose? Because you are going to lose. You know, I thought, ouch, uh, poor Martin O'Malley, because, I mean, we all know it's inevitable. I don't think he's going to hit that 15% threshold in many, uh, many uh, counties that he's caucusing in. But nonetheless, I mean, I thought it was a legitimate question, and I think that he had the right answer. You know, you're not going to say, well, how about we go for this person because we are going to lose. No, he, he had the right answer. Is he going to win? No way. Um, is it possible that he could potentially come in second in some areas? Sure. I mean, you know, anything is possible, but his numbers are just so devastatingly low that it's too late for him to really be this comeback kid. I don't think that that's going to happen. So his supporters will go to Bernie Sanders. I mean, polls show two to one that after Martin O'Malley, their second choice is Bernie Sanders. So um, it will be good for Bernie Sanders 
if this is the case. But anyways, this has been way too long. I try to keep this brief, but um, yeah, way longer than I wanted it to be. Anyways, that's my take on the town hall. Completely biased in favor of Hillary Clinton. We already knew coming into this that that would be the case, but Chris Cuomo did a terrible job. He is not very good at remaining objective and neutral. He absolutely was in this on a mission to destroy Bernie Sanders. Didn't happen. It ain't gonna happen. Uh, he is now well-equipped to deal with your bullshit. He knows exactly what to expect from the establishment. We all know what to expect from the establishment. And Hillary Clinton was allowed to ramble on as long as she wanted to. This was the pro-Hillary Clinton town hall. But it didn't work. I think that Bernie Sanders came out stronger than Hillary Clinton. Uh, so in the end, it was just another attempt for the establishment to stifle his campaign. And it was an epic failure. So Iowa is one week away now. And... It's on. Let's do it. I'm ready.